This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Bartholomew Town Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Bartholomew. From our Providence, Rhode Island studios, I sit down with Democratic strategist Rob Horowitz. Rob Horowitz is a political strategist who has advised Democrats in Rhode Island and other states. He also frequently appears in the Rhode Island political media as both a columnist and television commentator. All right, just a few days out from Election Day, nationally, of course, but focusing in on Rhode Island as we have all throughout Season 1 of the Bartholomew Town Podcast. We'll have complete coverage for you. We'll have a few more pods dropping between now and Election Day. And tune in on Tuesday, November 6th, around 2.30 p.m. We'll be dropping our Bartholomew Town Podcast Rhode Island Election Day pregame. And I guess it'll actually be during the during the game itself because we'll be recording that in the afternoon. We'll have all the latest headlines for you, plus our panel of experts We'll break down everything in Rhode Island politics for you. So tune in on Election Day, November 6th. That's next Tuesday, by the way. Look out. All right. And of course, subscribe to the pod on Apple Podcast, BartholomewTown.com, RIPodcast.com. You know the drill by now. And without further ado, let's talk Rhode Island politics with the one and only Rob Horowitz. You know, this election has gotten to the point where in some ways some would say it's boring. You know, it looks like we're going to see... Gina Raimondo uh, retain the, uh, the governorship. Uh, Democrats seem to be in prime position to win in all the statewide offices. Um, it's tough to look at District 15. It's impolable, but, you know, you get the sense that just it's going to be a good year for Democrats. Is that your take at this point? That is my take. I mean, there's a strong national anti-Trump mood. Um, now, there's certain places, and if you look at red states where there's some competitive U.S. Senate races that are um, where he's being helpful and, and where um, the Republicans are in pretty good shape. But I think um, for the rest of the country, and certainly for Rhode Island, the, the reaction to Trump, the, the very negative reaction to Trump, who it was when he was a candidate, was the most unpopular um, presidential candidate in the history of modern polling. Unfortunately, he ran against the second most unpopular presidential <laughs> candidate in history of modern polling. But he doesn't have Hillary Clinton on the ballot this time. Right. And, and, there's a lot, and if you look at the people who strongly disapprove of Trump, both nationally and Rhode Island, they're double the amount of people that strongly approve. So I think we're set up for a pretty good Democratic year in the House of Representatives nationally and a very strong year here in Rhode Island. Yeah, and we've seen for... You know, Congressman Cicilline, for example, he's out there campaigning for other <laughs> other Democrats uh, throughout the country. Um, you know, if you look at the lieutenant gubernatorial race, treasurer, whatever, you know, uh, certainly attorney general, as we've seen, there's just no com- significant challenge to any of the incumbents or in the case of the attorney general, the person who in Peter Nerona, who's been essentially assigned the task of taking over the job. I think that's right. And, and in a way, that's too bad. Be, um, as a Democrat strategist, I love it. <laughs> yeah. But as a citizen, it, we better see some of these races be more competitive. Um, and I think the governor's race is still going to be relatively close, but you, you would certainly much rather be uh, Governor Raimondo than you would at this point than you would be on Fung. And I think she's, she's run the right kind of campaign for her. 
which is um, there's been a lot of accomplishments over the last four years. There's certainly been some mistakes, but a lot of accomplishments. And people have a sense the state's moving in the right direction, whether they like her personally or not. And that's the campaign she's really run, talking, putting front and center her accomplishments. And, of course, also reminding people of some things they probably – actually, not even reminding people, letting people know about some things they probably didn't know about Alan Funk's tenure as Mayor Cranston. Right. Certainly the latest ads with the camp, uh, the Cranston police scandal and, and so forth and – you know, that's hard-hitting negative ads, for sure. They are, and, and tying him to Trump because cause he is, uh, in all things, he's a very nice guy, but in all things, he has not taken firm positions. Didn't take a firm position on Trump. You can understand why, having to win a Republican primary. Hasn't really taken a lot of firm positions on a lot of issues. I joked that, you know, when the primary was pretty much in the witness protection pro- program. Right. Now, in a two-way race, I think what his, his thinking was, it was, gonna, it was more of a two-way race. And, and she was kind of unpopular, and he was just going to be the all-purpose alternative, and you could read into him what you wanted. Unfortunately, with, with Joe Trillo on the ballot, who is a hardcore Trumpster, taking 7 8% of the vote, that was never really a viable strategy. Nor, you know, if you're going to run for, also if you're going to run for governor right now, and the, the people should, should hear what you really believe and what you really think and make a choice. So he took kind of the safe route, and it turned out to be not so safe. Yeah, the communication... Um, of his, you know, personality wasn't, you know, it didn't get out there as much as probably he had hoped it would looking back on it. Or, you know, that may be a flaw in the campaign that, you know, people just didn't by and large connect with that. Hey, that Alan Fung, he's a good guy and he's, I don't like Gina, so let's get him on up there. You know, that, that message. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think people do think he's a good guy and his, but, but. A good guy in two cents is still a good guy, but not the governor. You, you still want to hear what his vision for the state was. And he needed to start to lay that over, out over the summer. Can't just wait for the last six or seven weeks. Um, in hindsight, Gina was probably um, advantaged a little bit by her primary because it got her starting advertising earlier. She was able to make her positive case over the summer. And then once the primaries were over, um, she was able to define Fung. He hadn't, he hadn't really defined himself. And so I think they made a safe, cautious choice. And, and sometimes when you play it that safe, it doesn't work out. Right. It certainly did work out for the governor. She was able to test her negative advertising strategy or friends of, the, of Ramundo were able to test with Matt Brown using the same voiceover and same sound effects and everything on a Matt Brown ad. It was a good warm up. Um, but I think, you know, within the Democratic Party, it seems like the Ramundo team had a much broader coalition of support than Alan Fung has going out to the right for Alan Fung going out to the left. It seems like Matt Brown's supporters, by and large, will certainly vote Ramundo, and those who don't will probably either abstain or vote for a third-party candidate. Um, whereas on the Republican side, the, fr- the fracturing has now you know, not divided the electorate, but it's taken a big chunk out of it. Well, you would think since there's about 10 elected Republicans, they could get along. <laughs> yeah. But but they clearly need family therapy. Because <laughs> it's, and in a way, you, you almost feel bad for Fung, because cause that's very tough to deal with. And, and part of that is having September primaries here. Right. In some of the other states I work in, for example, New Jersey, they have June primaries. After primaries, there's always bitter feelings. Someone wins and somebody loses. And however that happens, um, it's hard to lose. And then there's not a whole lot of time to put it back together. So, um, and, and certainly the Republicans fell victim to that this time, um, where, where they weren't able to come together. And I, and I think that certainly, certainly hurt fun in fundraising and certainly hurt him perceptually. 
Yeah. It's almost like Fung would have, and the Republican Party as a whole would do well to become more like the chafey, you know, that that version of the Republican Party of yesteryear that, like, my parents would have talked about. You know, that sort of moderate Republican. Um, you know, Alan Fung, if he could actually count on a base based around that, he might actually have had, had a a shot to significantly overtake the governor. He nearly won last time. Sure. Um, the problem is it's hard. I mean, Charlie Baker is able to do it in Massachusetts. Yep. But it's hard because if you look at the hardcore of that, primer, of, of that party in primaries, um, it really favors conservatives, So it, it's, which is, I think, why Fung was pulling his punches. Um, but but uh, true confessions here, we'll date me. And in 2006, Mike Napolitano ran for mayor of, of Cranston against one Alan Fung. Mm-hmm. Very similar kind of thing. Um, and and Alan was, in the polling, Alan was very popular in Cranston. He was a councilman. But there was a mayor named Steve Laffey who was fairly conservative, um, kind of shook Cranston up, but people were kind of done with him. Um, yeah. They liked what he did, but they were, they were ready to send him out of town. And Alan, it was a similar thing. Alan did not distance himself from Laffey. He didn't say, didn't say a whole lot about what he was going to do. And we were able to beat him. Another, another. To be fair to Alan, another uh, similarity is we had a ton of money. Gina's got a ton of money. The governor's got a ton of money that she's raised. That also makes it hard because you have you have to make tougher choices when you have less money. When you can do everything like the governor can do, that's the kind of campaign you want to be involved in. Right. Yeah. That that certainly helps the cause. Yeah. You know, someone asked me the other day when I was on the other side of an interview. Um, you know, if I thought that the fact that the governor travels so much and, f- and well, she doesn't really travel that much, but the fact that she fundraised out of state so much and has this national profile, if that was a negative thing, and if that tied into anything, and, you know, I suggest so maybe it ties into DCYF and UHIP. But there's a lot of good management that she's done as well as those other things. But at the same time, why is it that there's such a big problem with having a Rhode Island person have a national caliber profile it, and potentially have national? you know, caliber uh, role in government. It, it just shows how parochial we can sometimes be. <laughs> yeah. um, because for the state, now the fundraising, you want to criticize her for being out of state on fundraising, that's a legitimate criticism. Sure. You, you could make or not make. But if you look at her national profile, it's brought business in here. It's, it's, it's made businesses look at Rhode Island. It's raised Rhode Island for tourism. Uh, a national profile for your governor is what you want. In a world where capital is mobile, labor is mobile, you want people to move here, you want businesses to come here. You, and, and she's done a great job as, as, as sort of a cheerleader for the state and a very smart cheerleader for the state about, about how to bring people in here and how to get companies to come in here. So it, it's, it's, it's very much a big positive. But, of course, in Rhode Island, it's like, ooh, she's getting a little too big for her britches, you know, or whatever <laughs> yeah. it is. Um, but but it's, it's, it's pretty much for the state an unvarnished plus. And I mean, one of the yeah. reasons why I think she's been our best governor since Bruce Sondland, I think she's been, a, and, and again, another true confession here, I was a consultant for one of her opponents in the primary four years ago, Angel Tavares. We ran against her, and uh, unfortunately, she won. <laughs> but I think she's been a, she's really been a very, very good results-oriented governor. And if you look at the campaign she's running, that is what she's mainly emphasizing: is the improvements she's made um, with lots of facts. And I think people have a sense of that. And and if they didn't have one before the campaign, they sure have one now because. Um, you know, unless you just turn your TV off, you're going to see that stuff. Yeah, or Instagram or whatever. Right, Lots or of Facebook. Facebook. I mean, she's, she's, as you may know, Bill, 
she's driven up the price of advertising on Facebook. Oh, yeah. It's like, you know, oh, I, I've got a couple things I want to do. I'm waiting until after the elections for, for her to stop, for her campaign to stop buying. Same here. Stuff, Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Not even thinking about it. And, and yeah, you know, there are a lot of infographics with numbers and so on and so forth. Right. And targeted for each town. It's, it's, a, it's a very well put together, very smart campaign. For sure. That fits her. If there is going to be a move made in these last days by Alan Fung, you know, he's going to continue to chip away at Colas, which Joe Trillo also was chipping away at it with his dream team. Um, what? How can the governor navigate this particular issue, The broadly speaking, the pension issue? How is she going to navigate that? It sounds like, you know, her opponents are, some of her opponents anywhere, are in a sense trying to buy off voters, you know, with promises of a 600 bucks or whatever. I think that's just baked in the cake already. I mean, she, as treasurer, she she was very courageous. And she substantively fixed the pension problem, mainly. And we had a huge unfunded pension liability. And and no no one would have said, if you want to run for a higher office, what you want to do is take people's colas away. But the fact is, we now have a sustainable pension system. We didn't have one before. And and it, it is hard on, uh, and has impacted some people negatively, but people still have their pensions. They have sustainable pensions. And, and by the way, people in government have actual defined pensions. Most people in the private sector don't. So I think it's a big accomplishment. Certain people are never going to forgive her for that, understandably. Um, I think that's already baked into the stock. They can keep talking about it. I don't know if they're getting one more vote on it. And, and you're not talking, and if you, and if you poll the pension, her pension solution statewide, it's popular. There is a subset, and, and there's some Democrats who don't get it, and that's another problem Fung has. He's not getting every one of those votes because some of them are going to Joe Trello. That's for sure. There's no doubt about that. Even if he were to drop out now, he's going to collect 5% of the vote just from being on the ballot, right? Um, well, let's look at the House of Representatives, and assuming Nick Mattiello does, in fact, retain his seat in, in House District 15, defeat Stephen Frias, um, will he retain the gavel come, to, uh, come January? I have said this before, but I, but I do think it applies. Trying to figure out speakers' elections is like back in the old Soviet Union days, trying to figure out who's up or down in the Kremlin. <laughs> yeah. It's a very inside process. Yeah. Um, you're not going to know till the end. Um, it, it's very it's it's very hard to tell. If he wins the election, I, I wouldn't bet complete, completely against him. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, speakers' terms end. Was at a certain at a certain point, and, and I think he's been in fact he's been speaker since I want to say 2012. I could be off that, but he's two three terms as speaker. That's usually what you get. Um, but but if he wins, um, and I think that's a close competitive race. I, I I think you're right. It's very hard to predict what's, what's going to happen there. If he wins, he's got a he's a smart KG Paul who knows his caucus. He's got a fair shot, assuming he's even going to do another term, which I assume he is. Otherwise, he probably wouldn't be fighting so hard in his reelect um, to be reelected speaker. But we're not going to know till the end, and and even at the end, until it happens, you're not going to know because it's it's right. it's it's group dynamics and it's it's very inner group dynamics. Right. Just the general feeling of the legislature, though, despite progressives and more progressive, self-identified progressives entering the. Uh, the general assembly by and large um in the house do you feel like that'll impact if there were a change of speaker would it be a shikarshi uh or would it be somebody more far further to the left you know my guess it would is it would be more likely to be a shikarshi unless you have a dynamic i'm not saying this wouldn't occur where where you have an election 
he stays with Mattiello and somebody else emerges. Yeah. I'm not sure it's going to be a pure progressive. But but it very much depends on on even, even if it, that it's not going to be a, just break down according to ideological lines. Yeah, because anyone who's a pure progressive is going to have to put a coalition together. So it's it's going to be about a bunch of internal stuff. What com- who gets what committee chairmanships? Who 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 do people like? Who they don't like? It's 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 sort of like a it's not really like this is a little unfair. It's like a student council race, except for it's got high stakes. Right. There's a bunch of internal dynamics. That that unless you're in the high school, you're just not going to know about like who likes who and who doesn't like who, and it's all that kind of stuff. It's it's yeah. really much less about ideology usually and, and issues, and it's about personality and and power. Very interesting. Um, Providence mayoral, mayoral race. Uh, How does that look? Does that seem to you like like chalk? I I think um, Alorza has it pretty well. In, in hand, I did consult for him four years ago, so he's a former client. Just should put that on the table. Mm-hmm. Um, I think um, D.D. Whitman's run a pretty aggressive, impressive race um, for a newcomer to this. And she got, I think, both Democratic primary opponents to support her. Yes, Kobe her, Dennis and uh, Robert DeRocio. Which, which I was surprised by, candidly. Um, she, got, yep. she has the teachers. She has the police union. Some of that is lures of you know being tough on the contract side, which you need to be when you're in a city as fi- as financially pressed as Providence with its kind of pension problems. But I think he's in I think he's in pretty good shape. Um, I think she's going to you know get a respectable number of votes. It's it's hard to see her defeating him at this moment. And then if if you look at her campaign, it, it for example she's got two ads up now, which is how most people are going to find out about this. Um, One's a kind of catchy, positive ad that doesn't really tell you very much, except for you know it's got kids. It's got it's it's well done. If it was July, it was a per, it'd be a perfect ad. Yeah, but we're in October, so why why change? And and the other one's a negative ad, which is fair, fair enough game. Um, but I think most voters, by and large, Lords is not love, but most voters think he's doing an okay job. People think Providence is doing, but you know, is is on the right track. It's a that, you know it, that kind of candidacy works. First of all, and it's also a Democratic year, and for instance, she's running as independent, so he's got that advantage. That kind of candidacy works. People are really unhappy. Um, Certainly some people have legitimate criticisms, but I don't get the sense that that people in Providence are very unhappy. Right. And that's what you probably would need. Yeah, that true upheaval, if you will. Right. I mean, the taxes haven't gone up that much. You don't have the things you usually have when you have that kind of dramatic upset. You can never tell people are going to vote. Um, stranger things have happened. Donald Trump's the president, so I, I don't want to rule it out. <laughs> right, and and she's energetic, and she's put a really good campaign together. But it's still it's tough to see her getting over the the hump. Yeah, I guess you're, I, I I agree. I candidly was also surprised when the her the two Alorza primary opponents endorsed her. But that's I think Kobe Dennis got like five thousand votes, and Derobio didn't do particularly well, but several thousand. You wonder if that will spiral into some sort of you know, oddball coalition here in, in the final weeks. Uh, uh, yeah, I think it's probably of limited impact, and people don't vote anymore for because some politician tells them. Even the politicians that are popular and they really like, they're still going to make independent in their own decisions, which is good. But if you put together all the things she's assembled, I mean, it's something. It's not nothing. I, I don't think it's it's sufficient to win, but it is something. Right. Um, 
last general area here. Are you as a as a democratic strategist, as someone who's a, a civics oriented person professionally, are you satisfied with where the local media is at right now in Rhode Island in terms of obviously there's some great people working in there, but we see it shrinking in a lot of areas as well. Do you feel like the ability for the average person to engage in elections is, uh, you know, in a good place right now. I think Rhode Island's doing rel- relatively better than most. I do a lot of work around the country than most local media markets. But clearly, if you look at the Province Journal, it's still relatively a very good newspaper. But it's not the newspaper it was five years ago, ten years ago. You don't have the same level of local coverage. I think that's what's particularly missing. You used to have bureaus, so if you know if you lived out, live in Warwick or Cranston, you live in Smithfield, you don't get as much local news. Um, on the other hand, with with this, the kind of work you're doing with a podcast, with the advent of social media, with a with the rise of Go Local, there are some people filling some of those gaps. So I think all in all. Um, and, and there's ability with those kinds of media outlets to have two-way conversations you can't really have with the broadcast news and right. and the journal as much. Oh, they try. So I, I think it's a mixed bag. I think it's still a pretty good, robust media market. The local news is for for local news is pretty high quality. Generally, you still have yep. some. You got you know the people at Channel Twelve doing a good job. Tim White and um, Ted Nisi over there doing actually some pretty high quality stuff. Yep. Um, McGowan, for sure. McGowan. Sorry, sorry, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my buddy Dan McGowan. Sorry there, Dan. Um, you know, you're Rapley. I mean, you still have yeah. some, for a local market compared to other local markets, yeah. um, and you see they're all like carrying their own cameras around, everything's changed. You don't have exactly, that. The right? media's thinned out because of a lot of economic reasons. But I think, you know, all in all, relatively, we're doing pretty well here. Yeah. Yeah. Plus on radio, you know, you have Ian Donis and, you know, guys like Clampkin out there running around like those right. are just national level personalities. Right. You know what I mean? With great reporting skills that are talking right. to you about things that happen, like the chicken suit all the way to serious stuff. Right. You know? And you have a pretty robust. It's clearly conservative because talk the talk that works and pays the bills tends to be conservative. But you still have a pretty robust 630 a.m. WPRO, whatever yep. the FM is. Um, to have those kinds of conversations, yeah, um, it's, it's tilted one way, but that's true everywhere because yeah. liberal talk doesn't really, you know, at least on the radio, doesn't really work, right? Economically, so that's why, you know, not coincidentally, all the talk, both those nationally syndicated folks and the local folks, tend to be, you know. Right as center. Right. And at least here, you know, you can pry away at Matt Allen, you know what I mean, on issues, and you don't yeah. get hung up on. So that's another thing as and well. You, and you can actually call in, uh, you can get through pretty fast. It's not like yeah. waiting for two hours to say, to talk to Rush Limbaugh. Right. You know? Or when I used to try to call WFAN for sports talk in New York, you know, you wait and hold for like three hours to talk to Mike Francesa. And know? then he hangs up and and in about 15 up. seconds. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're really a dope. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> actually, my favorite was, I don't know if you remember Bob Grant from back in the day. I think he may be before your day, but he's yeah. the one, he was what, sort of the forerunner to Limbaugh and those guys. And his favorite phrase was, yet two of them was either, get off the phone, you creep. <laughs> or what bar are you calling from, pal? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, and, I, and, and, and that brand appeals to so many people the sure. way that like, you know, like certain elements of pro wrestling or like fights on yeah. YouTube, whatever appeals yeah. to some people. Or our you president. Know? You know, it's all, it's all one of, you know, reality TV. It's all one of the same. Yeah. Um, well, last question here as sure. we zip into uh, election day. What are your 
what's your message to Rhode Island voters or potential Rhode Island voters? There's a lot of people who complain about politics. There's a lot of people who complain about Donald Trump. Um, and even I've heard myself, I've heard a lot of complaints about the governor or about the mayor, even things that don't make any sense that aren't valid or fair game, as you would say at all. Um, but what's your message? How, how can you, how can voters tune in in these final days to prepare themselves to make change or, or keep things moving in the direction that best suits them? I think the one thing you could really do is there's a lot of ballot initiatives up that, that all of us know very little about. I mean, I'm, I'm bullish on some of them because it's money for the colleges, it's money for, for the state's open space and environment. There's some important things on, on the ballot, but you may feel differently. You may, you may feel like there's, we've already taken on too much debt. What's mailed out, I believe it's from the Secretary of State's office, is, is something that, that just describes the ballot um, initiatives. I think there's 10. Or, I don't know how many there are. There's usually about 10. I would read those. Obviously, vote. Everyone's going to tell yeah, you that. Get out there. But when you, when you go into the booth, you want to have some sense of those things. Because whatever politicians are going to do, if you vote f- for um, a new, I think it's oceanography thing at URI, that's yep. going to happen. Or you could say it's too expensive for the state. And, and voters are going to decide that unfiltered from politicians. And then, you know, there's so information out there. Go to, go to both candidates' websites and see what, you know, try to get beyond the commercials. Um, they do pay uh, for my kids' tuition, so I like yeah. them. But uh, but <laughs> right. there's a lot. There's more information available at your fingertips today about the candidates than there ever been before. So so if you if you spend you know an hour or two seeking or even less seeking out the information, you'll be an informed voter, and then of course vote. As always, thank you for listening to the Bartholomew Town Podcast. Until next time, I'm Bill Bartholomew. We'll talk soon.